Good evening, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be able to come and share the Word of God. I was just thinking um, today that, uh, I don't know if you know, but guys are into statistics and numbers. And uh, I don't know if you know, but the mortality rate in the UK is 100%. In other words, that all of us have a very defined life. It starts when we're very young, and it finishes, hopefully, when we're very old, but not for all of us. We have a very defined life. It's a very short life. And when you get to my age, 21 plus VAT (laughs) and car tax and uh, various other additions, you'll find that life seems to be getting shorter all the time. It just seems to be running away. And as I was thinking through uh, these things and other things, I was aware that, uh, you know, your life can disappear in front of your eyes, and it seems that later on that there's not a very great deal to show for that. And as Christians, God expects us and wants us to have something to show for our lives at the end. Not that we have got any glory in that, but in other words, he has a purpose and a plan for our lives, and we need to find that and be involved in it as closely as we can. The title that you've seen in the bulletin and I've put on this sermon is called There's Gold in These Hills. I want you to sort of hold on to that thought. Um, One or two people were seeing me up here with a Stetson cowboy boots and guns and a gold sort of pan in my hand um, as I was preaching. Well, that's not too far from the truth. It may have been put a smile on your face, but it's not too far from the truth. But I want to take a step back from there, first of all. Today, we as Christians have got a battle on our hands. We seem to be in a continual battle. We are faced with this battle every day. It's not a battle like you might find in uh, Sudan or Pakistan as a Christian or Indonesia where Christians are persecuted on a daily basis for the faith. In, In Sudan at the moment, Christians are being murdered because they preach the name of Jesus, because they are Christians. Friends of mine in Pakistan have been in touch recently because Christians' homes are being burnt down by fundamentalists because they're Christians, not for any other reason. Uh, jobs are not available to uh, Christians. Certainly jobs with any uh, inflated salary are not available to Christians. Women have to sweep the streets, Christian women. Children can't go to school in lots of cases because they're Christians. So it's not a battle like that necessarily that we face, although there's an element of persecution that comes to all of those who name the name of Jesus. It's not a battle of corruption that we face necessarily, although we are corrupt as individuals and and as human beings. But Christians in Africa today are facing corruption on a daily basis. It's a battle that they struggle with all the time. If uh, you are faced with the option of stealing something and your children dying, what do you do? What do you do in your job? Does a a Christian policeman bribe people in the street in order that he can feed his family? 
It's a, it's a pressure. It's a battle that goes on. And Christians find that very difficult. Not because they don't know the truth and not because they don't know the right way to live, but because there are difficult things to face if they can't feed their family, obviously. So there's a battle going on. But our battle is often one which happens in the mind. It's a philosophical battle, if you like. And um, it's more than that, though. It's, it's, it takes on a, a whole new sort of perspective for us. It's a spiritual battle. And it's a battle of what I believe are huge proportions uh, for us as Christians. So the others can affect us. The persecution can affect, affect us. Corruption can affect us. But this spiritual battle in which we live on a daily basis is something that we find often very difficult to uh, negotiate. The sort of worldly commercialism and, and secularism that comes uh, to us on a daily basis, doesn't matter wh which way we look, it's there for us uh, to face. We know it's there, and uh, we theoretically should be able to do something about it, but it, we find it difficult, and it comes uh, all the time towards us. It wants us to get more for doing less. I find it when I, where I work that, that there's this pressure all the time to um, get shorter hours and bigger wages. So we want more for doing less. Um, or different conditions of service that give us a bigger uh, inflated idea of ourselves or whatever. It lures us to become rich. Um, and want, it inspires us uh, in the eyes of the world to become rich and to do the best we can with the resources that we have. And in some ways, there's nothing wrong with that perspective. It helps us to um, find the minimum requirements of our faith sometimes. It pressurizes us and pushes us because of the, the workload that we have. We get pressurized into um, offering the minimum when it comes to a service of God and living out of faith in the community. We go for what often can be the easy life in our Western world. Uh, we want the minimum effort and hope that somehow we'll make the grade, um, if there is a grade that we have to make. Sometimes we ask the question, what can I get away with and still be saved? That's often a question that has been put to me over the years, is, well, can we, can we be involved in this kind of lifestyle and still be saved? Can we do this and still be saved? Which, of course, is the wrong question. We know it's the wrong question. The question is, of course, how saved can I become? It's like walking along the edge of a, of a cliff, right on the very edge, and say, well, how near to the edge can I get without falling over the side? Well, of course, it's crazy, isn't it? You don't want to walk, walk there. You want to walk over here where it's much safer. And we walk safely in what we know to be the truth. So very often we ask ourselves the wrong questions. So we have ourselves in this battle which is going on all the time in our lives. I don't know if anybody, any of you have read uh, the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I haven't read it all myself, but there are parts of it which I've picked up from time to time. And here you have a story of, of, uh, that C.S. Lewis has written uh, of this senior demon called Screwtape who, who wants to um, teach his lesser tempter, uh, Wormwood, 
to bring uh, a temptation upon the, a, a man, a British man, and uh, to somehow secure his, his fall from grace or his damnation, if you like. And uh, he tries every passion under the sun, everything under the sun that this man could be tempted with, he puts it in front of him. And uh, he tries to uh, inspire him to do wrong and to slip away in his Christian faith. And the letters, the, the screw tape letters go back and forward between screw tape this senior demon and, and Wormwood this lesser demon. And Wormwood is chastised by his senior partner uh, in letters for not uh, destroying this man's faith totally and for allowing him somehow to slip into heaven. And uh, so you can imagine what's going on. Now, it, it is a story, but the, 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 the truth of that story is remarkable to us because what's happening all the time is this kind of pressure that comes on Christians not to fulfill what God wants them to do. And the devil will bring everything to us. And for some, the concept of a demon even is something that's a bit of an anathema to them uh, today because, well, we don't believe in that kind of thing, do we? You know, simple people believe in these kind of things, uh, but we don't. But of course, if we read the Scriptures, you'll find that uh, Jesus was able to deal with, and the, the New Testament is full of stories and, and incidences where demons were active in people's lives. We have uh, secular humanism, if you like, which, which um, although sort of bankrupt and lost in, it, in the way that it's going, it would appear that many, many people accept it as being something that um, they can easily swallow. And maybe because it is, helps them to, to take on the easy road that uh, is required uh, to, to walk dangerously with God. The very error that comes in through that is one which allows us to think that the, the basic, the baser needs that we have um, will, will be saved and protected at no cost to ourselves. And I think that's one thing that we've got to be very, very careful of is that we don't accept this philosophy that it, we can do what we, we like and still we'll be okay somehow. Because certainly that's not what the Scripture teaches. And it's indeed a great fallacy to go down that route totally. And, and of course, the Scripture clearly points out to us that God's Word is hard to, to understand and, and cope with in our, our normal natural lives, but it's something that we need to take on board in order to live for God and live our lives for Him in every particular area. We struggle with all sorts of stuff. Daily, uh, these things come to us, all sorts of ways. And uh, if we don't attend to the, the, the call of God and the, the perspective of God in our lives, then we're going to be lost as a result of that. But what I want to pull together this evening and, and, and identify, if I can, is the fact that there's a far more important and significant issue that we can miss when all of this stuff is going on on one side and trying to attract our attention and take our, our eyes away from what God wants for us. There is something more important that God wants to present to us and show to us. And it's that 
that many, many people in our community, in our street, in our uh, area of the town, in our land, in our world, have yet not heard of Christ Jesus. They've not heard of the salvation that he can bring. And so that issue is one which is of huge importance to us, obviously. It's of huge importance to them, although they may not know it yet. And yet we, often our, our lives are being turned around, our heads are being turned by what the devil would want to do to us and through us. And so I want us to begin to consider the value of humanity. It's over these last few months, it's been a, a, a struggle in my own soul at times to, to, to know what to do in certain situations. As many of you know, that we run an organization called Mission International. And as a result of that, take teams to various parts of the world in order to share the gospel. And the, the, the work that's involved in that can be quite tedious, quite difficult at times because there's administration to be done, there's people to see, there's things to do, there's websites to put in place, and all sorts of stuff which have got nothing to do with actually preaching the gospel perhaps, but they've all got to be done. And you think, Lord, all of this stuff gets in the way of us doing what we want, what you want us to do, although they are important as well. But I was really uh, challenged by the, the purpose of God for coming, of Jesus coming into our lives, the value that he puts on each one of us. And I found that a very painful process to acknowledge that God puts great value on me as an individual. He puts great value on you as an individual. But there are so many more out there that God puts just as much value on. And yet, um, I find it a struggle sometimes to lift my game and to see what God wants in that. And this is what came through to me as I was considering it and meditating on these things. There's a fact that God says to us in his word in Matthew 16, what does it profit a man if he loses his own soul by trying to gain the world? What does it profit a man? What happens with all of that? Matthew 16, 26, if you want to look it up later. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he loses his own soul? And of course, we can protect our own situation, and that makes us focus. But there's so many more that God wants us to see and to become involved with uh, throughout his world. It's true that God puts great value in my life. He puts great value in your life. He puts great value in the many lives that are out there in our world. Did you know another statistic for you guys who are into statistics? There are more people alive on earth today than have ever lived or died before. That's a huge number of people. You can imagine the generations that have gone before us. But there are more people alive now than have ever lived or died before. So we have been called to come into this whole process at a time when there are more opportunities than ever. I think back to the missionaries who 
go out, not that I was around at the time, I may look that kind of age, but uh, I'll think back to the stories of the missionaries, let's put it that way, who went out in the last centuries to share the gospel around the world. And the, the way in which they went, they left everything behind and off they went to, to serve God somewhere. And many of them, the first thing that they would do is buy themselves a piece of ground to be buried and make themselves a coffin just in case it all went horribly wrong early in the process. And for some it did. And so we have been called at a time when there are more people seeking the deliverance of God in their lives than ever have been before. And we need to be aware of that and aware that God has put a call in our lives as the church, as individuals, to do something about it. I want to read Psalm 8 to you. If you have a Bible with you, then you can, you can open it up. Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That verse 4 of, the, of that psalm says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is so important about this part of the creation that God is so mindful of us? We are the pinnacle of his creation. If you look back into the book of Genesis, you'll find that God, when he was creating things, he created various items throughout the six days that he worked. And for everything, he said, it is good. But when he created man and woman in his, in his image, he said it is very good. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And he wants us to be aware of that fact, that he loves us and that he is mindful of us, that we are continually in the focus of his imagination and mind. And so many scriptures identify that. And it comes right through from the Old Testament, in Zechariah 9.16, the, the Scripture says, The Lord their God will save them on that day as a flock of his people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. You can see God's perspective on humankind. God's perspective on his people. He wants them to sparkle. And the very, when, as a child I grew up in a, in a kind of situation where you felt somehow that God was brutal and God was going to some, somehow grab you and crush you for the things that you had done, done wrong. And that's the perspective that I've seen, a wrong perspective that I got about God. 
But it says here he wants us to shine and sparkle like jewels in a crown. Malachi 3, it goes on to say there, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. God sees us as valuable. God sees us as jewels in his crown. And so we need to be aware that we're not somehow horrible to him, although our sin makes him want to turn away. And when Jesus went to the cross, that's exactly what happened. He turned away in order that our sin could be dealt with and that we, that separation between ourselves and God, could be eradicated and that we could be reconciled with God once again through Christ. And so God wants us to understand, though, that we as individuals, as people, are valuable, but not only we. So the whole idea of treasure that comes through the Scripture from time to time, very obviously, very clearly, is there. And we want to try and identify that this evening as we're, as we're considering this. For the Lord has chosen Jacob, Psalm 135 says, the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. That God wants us as his people to be like treasure. He sees us that way. Now, very often, we find ourselves kind of focusing on our own treasure. We see things of our lives that are treasure to us, things that are valuable to us. And, of course, we focus on these. These are the things that we lock up. I remember taking a team to, to Uganda um, once, and we went into uh, a rural village. And uh, while we were in the village, we had all these, uh, the team were, you know, Nike-clad <laughs> youngsters um, with expensive clothes on. I always tell them not to take expensive clothes, but they never listen to me anyway, and they always do take expensive clothes with them. And uh, we went into this rural village, and I asked one of the villagers, an old man, I said, do you think it might be possible for us to come in and look in your home? Now, his home was not, much, not any bigger than this platform. It's probably smaller than this platform, his whole house. A round, mud-built hut with a grass roof and a door on it, no windows. And uh, we, he opened the door, tiny little man. He opened the door, and in we went. And uh, there was a mat on the floor, which was his bed, made of uh, hessian uh, that he had, or his wife had made. I don't know who, who had made it, but he had that lying on the floor. Um, there was a, a hoe, a mattock hoe, I think that was it, and a bag with some uh, grains in it, and uh, not very much else. There was no seat, no chair, no, no bed, no sink unit, no electric light, no anything. And so we looked around the home and we came out again, and uh, everybody was sort of... Um, muttering about what they had seen and, and so and what is it about that house that's so different from our house at home and of course people were talking about the various things that we have the tv and all the rest of it i said try and look look a little closer what does he not have that we have 
And uh, eventually we come up with the fact he had no lock on his door <laughs> because there wasn't anything worth stealing. And uh, the more treasure we have, the more secure we make it. And uh, God has a treasure in us, but we have a treasure out there that we look for. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 12, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we have something that we can treasure. We have something that, that is out there. What's my laptop? I like my laptop. Or I love my phone. Or I've got this big widescreen TV for watching the football. Or I've got, and we have treasures that are ours. Our children can be a treasure to us. And we look after those of us who have children. Have, we look after our children. We want the best for our children. And that's all good and right. But there are things that God has put in us, a spark of understanding that God has put in us that we need to stretch out to His treasure, that which He has brought before us. We read that scripture earlier on, beautifully read for us in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. There is a treasure in us. There is a treasure in humankind that God views and sees, and He wants us to understand that as well. You understand it as understanding the, the story in um, Matthew's gospel where the man who finds, uh, he's digging in a field, a field that doesn't belong to him, but he's digging this man's field for him, and he discovers a treasure in the field. And as he's digging, he thinks, now hold on a minute, if I go to the man who owns this field and tells, tell him that there is treasure here, he'll have the treasure, and I'm the one that's found it, but it'll belong to him because it's his field. So he decides that he'll go away and he'll sell everything that he has and he'll buy the field so that with the field he will also get the treasure. And in some ways, that's the, the kingdom of God in us that we need to find. That kingdom of God that we're finding, not only in ourselves and seeing in ourselves that God sees in us, but in every other human being that is out there. That, king, that, that, that treasure, that priceless pearl, if you like. Christ is that priceless pearl, but that treasure that is in each one of us. We find the field and we do everything we can to be able to purchase it, to be able to reach it, to be able to do the right thing for that treasure, to release it. So mankind has a great treasure inside of him that God has put there. But we see in our daily lives that, that, that humankind, mankind, has done great evil against his fellow man. Uh, you've see, we've seen it in the last two or three years here in our, our own country where uh, bankers and financiers have made millions on transactions that have left other people in poverty. And they seem not to be all that bothered about it as long as they're quite wealthy as a result. So there's evil going on as a result in that, in that kind of way. And we ought not to sneer too much because it may be that our pensions are locked up in that kind of process. And we really want them to do quite well so that we can do quite well as well, if you're with me. Just this week, a man was buried in South Africa, a man by the name of Eugene Terre Blanche, which uh, means white earth, for those who don't know. And uh, he was 
I've seen some documentaries, and if, if they have any truth in them at all, he was a particularly nasty chap who would not accept that anyone who was not white was worthy of any kind of support at all. And in fact, he was murdered as a result of not paying his workers. And, uh, you know, there are times when those who are so badly treated by someone may react. I don't condone that at all, but I can understand it in some ways. But this man was buried, and he's now gone to meet his maker. He'll be judged according to his actions one day. He'll be judged according to the fact that he has ill-treated people only because of the color of their skin. I've been reading a book this week called Soul Survivor by a man by the name of Philip Yancey. I don't know if anybody has read it, but I'm digging my way through this book because it's quite a painful book to read as well. And it's about the church he was raised in. He talks early on in the book anyway about the church he was raised in in Georgia in the USA. And um, the church pastor would teach, and, and this was not only he, but throughout that element of the church, that part of the church, they would teach that one of Noah's sons was black. Therefore, everybody who was of a, a black skin or a dark skin was therefore someone who was to be ill-treated or someone who was basically working class or incapable of education. Now, of course, nowadays in our generation, we would not accept any of that whatsoever. But for generations, people worked through that and, and struggled through that, could see no value, could see no treasure in these people who were different from them somehow and therefore had to be disregarded. Many were killed during these times when the riots took place in the States and as a result changes took place. But it's horrible to think that people have got to force their attention and not be accepted for who they are. So the treasure that God has put in us is something that he values highly, so highly that Jesus came in order to redeem our lives, to lift us up. Jesus said, that we need to lay up treasure. So getting rich in the world sense may not be a good thing. One way or the other, we can see that. Getting rich in the world sense, Jesus said to the, to the rich young ruler um, to go and give all that he had to the poor. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do that. That was his response. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that because he was very rich. So riches can be a difficult thing, but it's not totally wrong. But riches can be a difficult thing for us to handle in our lives as Christians. But Jesus says that we have to get treasure, but he says we need to lay it up in heaven. Matthew 6, verse 19, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt so we need to lay up for ourselves. It's not only in Matthew 6, but there are other examples of that as well were worth reading. But we need to see the treasure that God has put in humankind. We see it day after day. In our earthly bank accounts, we want to see treasure, but 
we can't understand and cope with somehow a heavenly bank account. How does that work? Where do we put that? What do we do? How do we get about uh, dealing with a heavenly bank account? If you can imagine someone, uh, let's say you had been transported somehow into uh, the um, corridors of 10 Downing Street, which would be an interesting experience in any case, but let's say somehow you had been transported and you're walking through 10 Downing Street. Nobody knows you're there other than yourself. And you're walking along the corridors and all of a sudden there's a crack in one of the doors um, and you're looking and here is Gordon Brown and uh, his cabinet. And they're sitting around the table and they're discussing what to do with the UK finances. They're scratching their heads. They're trying to deal with the deficit. They're trying to figure out how to um, make sure that the balance of payments work. And they're working through all things. And Alistair Darling comes up with a good idea. He says, if we exchange the UK uh, economy and the UK currency, exchange it for that of another country, let's say we take Japanese yen, for example, and we'll, we'll bend the, the pound. It's not doing too well. Japanese yen is doing reasonably well. Let's eradicate uh, the pound and let's take on board Japanese yen. That will then totally change everything. And of course, ears are pricking up. Riches are there to be made um, and so on. But of course, you're looking in and you hear this. You're the first one outside of the cabinet to know what's going to be happening. And you wait and wait and wait with bated breath. Are they going to do this or are they not? It seems crazy. And they eventually decide that they will do it. And tomorrow, when the, when the currency markets open, pounds are going to be sold off and we're going to buy yen. Now, what do you do in that situation? What does one of us do in that situation? Well, I don't know about you, but I think what I would do is like the man with the treasure in the field, I would say, well, what have I got to sell in order that I can buy Japanese yen? Don't buy pounds because they're not going to be worth very much tomorrow. But let's buy some Japanese yen because we've got to sell these on the market. The price is going to go through the roof. I'm going to exchange everything that I've got. I'm going to sell my telly, my car, my suite, my new kitchen. Everything's gone in order that I can make money to buy Japanese yen. I try to do it as quickly as possible in order that when the exchange rate changes and money changes, then I've got some to sell. And that's the problem. We want to sell when the price is high. We want to sell when money is, is valuable. And so we do so. We sell that, in a, we're in a very strong position. We sell our currency and make a lot of money. But it's the same situation when we come to consider our earthly and heavenly bank account. Our earthly bank account is going to be left behind one day. One day, it doesn't matter how big it is, how valuable it is, how huge it has become, one day we're going to be taken away from it. We don't really leave it behind. You know how you get the obituaries in the paper, there's so many thousands of pounds or millions of pounds that somebody left. Believe me, they didn't leave it. They were taken from it. Nobody leaves that amount of money lying around. <laughs> 
they were taken from it. But one day, we're going to have to go. Our 100% mortality is going to come into play, and we're shuffled off this mortal coil. We're gone. What is going to happen to that heavenly bank account? We can make an exchange now. Today, we can exchange what we have for a heavenly bank account. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. How do we do that? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So we can now exchange what we have for what we will have one day. Now is the opportunity. Get something done in advance. Exchange what you have now for what will be valuable then. We can exchange our time. We can exchange our energy. We can exchange our career. We can exchange our funding, our money. We can exchange our skills and resources. We can exchange all of that for something that will be incorruptible, something that will be untouchable, that will be kept in heaven for us, something that will be hugely valuable. The question is, do we really believe that that's what's going to happen? Do we really believe that the currency that we can exchange will have greater value one day than it does now? What is it going to be like when we exchange the currency that we have? One very quickly before, time is gone, so we'll read this very quickly. But to read the book of First Peter, not the whole book, but part of it. First Peter, chapter one. First Peter chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So God is storing up a treasure. God is storing up something that will never perish, spoil, or fade. But we have an opportunity to pay in to that bank account. We have an opportunity to deal with those things that are happening now in order that one day there will be something laid up in heaven for us. God calls us to do that in advance. He calls us to do it now in exchange for something that will happen then. And so the call of God upon us is to see what is valuable. What is it that we have that is valuable? You know, our world, every time you go to a management meeting of any kind, they're talking about values in our generation. Well, what is it you value? What are your values? What is it that's important to you? Well, God says that can be exchanged. 
for his purposes. That can be exchanged and paid in to a heavenly bank account. That can be something that we are digging out of our life just now, prospecting for even to find it and bringing it out in order that we can have value laid up for us in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And there is a deposit that God gives us to empower us to do that, the deposit of the Holy Spirit talked about in the Scripture too. So that value that God has put in us, in those that we live beside, in those that we reach out to in the community, in those in the various parts of the world that God has called us to, that value needs to be received, pulled out, and used uh, to uh, fulfill God's purposes in His kingdom. I was reading through some of the quotations of one of my heroes of the faith, the, the missionary C.T. Studd. Some of you have heard of C.T. Studd, a missionary a cricketer. He was born in 1860 and died in 1931. A remarkable man. He was the founder of WEC, the World Evangelization Crusade. And uh, he was a missionary in China. Then he became a missionary in India. And then he went to Congo in Africa. And he wrote these words uh, whilst in Congo in Africa. And it was an inspiration to me as he as he knew the value and could align that value with the world's values. And he said this, Last June, at the mouth of the Congo, there awaited a thousand prospectors, traders, merchants, and gold seekers, waiting to rush into these regions as soon as the government opened the door to them. For rumor declared that there is an abundance of gold, there's gold in them hills. If such men hear so loudly the call of God to gold to obey it, can it be that the ears of Christ's soldiers are deaf to the call of God? Are gamblers for gold so many, and gamblers for God so few? He understood that there is value in humankind. That the, the world's value, the, the gold that's in the mountains, the gold that's in the rivers of Congo and various other parts of the world, the diamonds that are there, the valuable stuff that's under the ground, wherever it might be, is not nearly as valuable as those who need to be saved. It's not nearly as valuable as those who God has called us to reach. We have been given great value. In fact, God saw so much value in us that he sent Christ to die for us as individuals and as a, a population. But we have got to see that same value in others. There's gold in them hills. There's gold out there. There's diamonds for the crown that Jesus will wear. There's wonder in his calling for us to go. The value of each soul, of each person who is there. I want us to just consider that for a moment. Consider not only what's out there, but what 
God has called us to do about that. I find that you've probably been aware that I'm not flowing as easily as I might trying to share this because I find it a very, very painful thing that, that we have such a gold mine that God has given into our hands and yet very often the church does little to prospect for it, to plan for it, to prepare for it. But God wants us to be prospectors. He wants us to be evangelists, to prospect for gold. These are the evangelists, the guy with the dynamite who, you know, in a, in a, a quarry, he's the guy who shoves the dynamite into the little hole and lights it and walks away. You know, they're the crazy men, the crazy people. They're the evangelists. And, you know, put their fingers in the ear and there's stuff flying everywhere. Evangelists are crazy. <laughs> but God wants crazy people to serve him. Prospect for gold. There are teachers, there are disciples, there are builders, there are medics, there are engineers, there are school teachers, there are everybody God requires in order that gold might be prospected and dug out of these mountains. I'm going to leave it there because... Uh, Otherwise, I'll, I'll go on all night. They said, uh, somebody said to me this morning, it might be a short service this morning, uh, this evening. I said, don't think so. <laughs> but I could go on. That's probably a mistake if I do. But what I want us to be aware is that God has given us value in ourselves. God has put value in others, and he wants us to go and get it. He wants us to lay up that treasure in heaven. Remember, doing it is doing it. Praying about it is good, but it's not doing it. Discussing it is good, but it's not doing it. Going to seminars on it is good, <laughs> but it's not doing it. Doing it is doing it. So let's be ready to go and do what God has called us to do. Blessed are you if you do these things, Jesus said. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again we give you thanks because of the value that you've placed in us. Thank you that you've sent Jesus to die. Thank you that you've sent Jesus to win us and to reconcile us back to you again. That his precious blood made it possible that we could be saved. Help us, Lord, as we consider what you've called us to do in response to that amazing uh, love that you've shown to us. Lord, you've called us. You've called us to be salt and light. But you've also called us to be gold prospectors. You've called us to harvest because the fields are white. You've called us to serve. You've called us to go. You've called us to do what you've called us to. Father, we thank you for all of that. Help us, Lord, to be inspired, not by the mumblings of somebody who feels very incapable, and, but, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to go and serve, whether it be in the congregation here or whether it be in some far-flung part of the world where many need to know and hear of you. So be with us, Lord. Thank you for the value that you place in us. 
Be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.